0: So, three things that I want to share with you this morning about um, what the gospel is. About what the gospel is. And and here's the first. The first thing I want you to understand this morning is that the gospel is Christ centered. Um, The gospel is. Christ-centered, and, and I know that sounds silly, but it, it's so true. The, the entire gospel, the good news, is completely wrapped up in, in Jesus Christ. It, it, it's completely wrapped up in Jesus, the long-promised, long-awaited Messiah. It, it, it's the story... Uh, of our need for him, of God's grace and love for us in sending him. It's the story of his love, his obedience, his sacrifice, his service, his mission. It's the story of his power over death uh, and sin. It's the story of his kingdom, which has come and is coming. It's the whole story, uh, and, and it all centers around Christ. And I think Paul puts it back in, in Colossians, and this is what he writes in Colossians 1, 15 through 19. He says, the Son uh, is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation for him, in, in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created by him and for him. He's before all things and in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is uh, the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have supremacy for God was pleased, get this, to have all of his fullness dwell in him saying that the gospel is is Christ-centered. God was pleased to have all of His fullness, all of His love and all of His mercy and all of His grace and all of His goodness and all of His justness and all of His fairness and all of His rightness. God was pleased to have all of His character known to us in Jesus Christ. That's huge. That's huge, and that means that the gospel has to be Christ-centered. And so this morning, I thought we'd do a little exercise just so you could see that the entire gospel centers around Jesus. I thought we'd just walk through the New Testament together a little bit and talk about who Jesus is in each of the books, okay? And so this is where your notes come in handy, and this is what we find as we begin to study Scripture and dig in deeply. Find In Matthew, Jesus is Emmanuel. Right. He, he's God with us. He is the son of David, the long promised king who who will bring with him the kingdom of God. That's who he is in Matthew. in Mark, he's the miracle worker. Right. He is the powerful one that will baptize with the Holy Spirit, the one whom John has paved the way for. In Luke, he is the son of the most high God. His own designation for himself is the son of man. He's, he's the one that's going to take over the throne of David and rule forever. And John, he's the great I am. He, he says so seven times. He says, he, he says I, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I'm the, I'm the gate. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And then he says, and I am the vine. And Acts, he's the one that always keeps his promises. He, he promised the Holy Spirit. He said, you need to go wait for it. And sure enough, the Holy Spirit comes. And just like he said, they receive power to be his witnesses. It's also in that book that we find out there's no other name under heaven and earth by which man can be saved. In Romans, he's our justification. Right, Because of him, we have been pronounced righteous by God. In 1 Corinthians, he is our wisdom and our power of God uh, who gifts us for service in his kingdom. In 2 Corinthians, he's the one that makes us a new creation and he gives us a new calling, right? Now we get to participate in the kingdom of God. Now we, we have a role to play and that role is that we're now ministers of reconciliation uh, according to 2 Corinthians. In Galatians, he's the one that all of the law points to, every single bit of it. He's the one that we have in whom we have freedom and by whom we produce fruit. In Ephesians, he's the one that makes us alive and raises us up and seats us with Christ. He's the one that makes us citizens of the kingdom of God and even children of God. And it's in him and him alone that we get dressed for battle against the enemy. Right. That's Ephesians six in Philippians. He is the servant that we are to model our lives after Philippians two. We are to have his mind forgetting what is behind us. We're supposed to press on towards the goal and he is the image of the invisible God through whom all things are made and by whom all things are held together. In First Thessalonians, I love this, he's our rescue. He's a rescue. Second Thessalonians, he's the just judge that will set all things right. In First Timothy, he's the king eternal, immortal, invisible, who came to save sinners. In Second Timothy, he's the destroyer of death and the giver of grace and life. In Titus, he's our blessed hope. In Philemon, he's the destroyer of divisions. Onesimus is no longer a slave. Now he's a brother. Jesus has conquered those divisions, right? In Hebrews, he's supreme. He's superior. He's superior than, than Moses. He's superior than the tabernacle. He is our high priest. In James, he's the giver of wisdom and the one that provides in prayer. In Peter, he's our living hope. In 2 Peter, he's all that we need. I love that. It says he, uh, His divine power is given everything we need for life and godliness. Amen. 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, He is the one that stands in our defense. He's the real one, according to John. He's the one who really lived and really died and really rose again. He was really seen, really heard, and really touched. If you don't believe Him, you could ask all the other witnesses, right? In Jude, He's the only sovereign Lord, the one who is able to keep us now And forevermore. And in Revelation he is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. The Lion and the Lamb. The only one who is qualified to open the seals on the scroll in the Father's right hand. It's all centered around him. Every ounce of it. It's all, and that's just, that's just the New Testament, friends. We'll talk about the Old Testament here in a second. It's all centered around Christ. The gospel is Christ-centered. John Stott once said, "The great preacher said, the gospel is not preached if Christ is not preached. It's a big deal. The gospel is not preached if Christ is not preached. And that's because the gospel is Christ-centered. Um, turn with me to Colossians. I'm going to read. We had this verse on the screen earlier, but I only gave you part of it. I want to read the rest of it. We're going to be in Colossians 1. And and we left off in verse 19. I'm going to read 19 to you. And then I want you to hear 20. Colossians 1, 19 and 20. Word of the Lord says, For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. Speaking of Jesus. And through him... To reconcile to himself all things in heaven, uh, all things uh, on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. I'll say that one more time. It says, for God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. It's Christ-centered. That's what the gospel is. That's what the gospel is. All right. Number two, and you may think these two things are the same. They're actually not, uh, but we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit. But you know that the gospel is biblical. The gospel is biblical. Say, Pastor, that sounds a little ridiculous. Really? The gospel is we've been waiting to know what the gospel is, and you come out and say the gospel is biblical. Thanks. Thanks a lot for that. This is really important because we live in a day and age where we've tried to come up with new ways to share the gospel, and a lot of those ways are systems, and and you know, well, we we do this, and here's step one, two, three, four. Pray this prayer, and we're good. And the problem with that is that the gospel doesn't make sense outside of the context of Scripture. Right? It just doesn't. And we, we get that when we study the Apostle Paul who proclaims the gospel all throughout the New Testament. Check check this out. This is what Paul would say. 1 Corinthians 15, 3-5. He says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins, get this, according to the Scriptures. And that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. And, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. Now, Paul's writing this. We don't have the New Testament yet, right? He's He's... As he's writing this, he's writing half the New Testament. But we don't have the New Testament yet. So what's he referring to? The Old Testament, right? He's talking about the scriptures, the Old Testament. He's saying this is what was written about Christ. Now, it's pretty interesting. When Jesus dies and and is raised from the dead, uh, and and then he shows up, remember, and he appears to a whole bunch of people, he's walking on the road to Emmaus, and he's walking with some disciples. It's pretty interesting what he, he teaches them. Uh, Look at this. This is in Luke, Luke 24, 27. It says, and beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all of the scriptures about himself. Jesus expounded their mind and their knowledge so much so that when he when he when he when he's gone, they're like, were our hearts not burning? Were were, were our hearts not on fire when he was talking to us about this stuff? And and Jesus explained to them the word of God according to the scriptures. And that's really important that we know that the gospel is a biblical account. According to scripture, Jesus is the Messiah. That's an Old Testament concept. According, According to the scriptures, the Messiah would be born of a woman. Mary was really a woman, right? She, she wasn't immaculately born, as some would teach. Uh, she was a real woman. She had real parents. They really made a child, and her name was Mary. We don't have to go into all the details, but you know what that involved. Those of you that had kids, Happy Mother's Day. All right, so um, go home and explain that. Um, it was a stork, baby. Uh, so, um, sorry, I just blew that for you, didn't I? Um, Luke. So So, she's really a woman. Uh she she according to scripture, she's gonna be born of a real woman. She would really be a virgin. Uh, that would really happen in Bethlehem, that, that he would come from the line of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Uh that he would be from the, the tribe of Judah. He'd be an heir to King David's throne. He would be called Emmanuel. This is all Old Testament. He would spend time in Egypt, according to the Old Testament. There'd be great weeping and mourning in his birthplace. Herod made sure of that. Killed every boy that could have been the age of Jesus. There was great weeping and mourning there. According to Scripture, a prophet in the spirit of Elijah, like John, would prepare the way for him, and that happened. According to Scriptures, he was sent to heal the brokenhearted and set the captives free. According to Scriptures, he would be called king, he would be falsely accused, he'd be hated without cause, beaten beyond recognition, crucified with criminals, and buried in a borrowed tomb. According to the scriptures, he, he is our Passover, he's our deliverer, and, and, and he is our new covenant, which includes a better tabernacle, a, a better priesthood, and a better sacrifice. You see, the gospel, in, in, in the very core of what it is, it's scriptural, it's biblical. It's a biblical account. And I, I want to say this to you in love because I, I know many of us, we want to share Christ and we live in a world, I mean, Lifeway has it down to a science, you know? I mean, you go in and they've got little puppet things and, and little evangel cubes and things that we can fold and, you know, here's the ABCs and, and here's what you got to have somebody to pray so that they can receive Jesus and, and listen to all that's great and all that's fine as long as all that's grounded in the Word of God because that stuff doesn't make sense outside of the Word of God. And when you begin talking to somebody and they say, well, I don't believe the Bible. Well, you're going to have a problem because you can't believe in Jesus without believing in the Bible. Because it's the word of God and the gospel is scriptural. It is. It is, it is, it is. is. We'll talk about this in a few weeks. But that's why Paul, when he speaks to the Jews, they already know the history. When he speaks to the Gentiles, he has to explain the history and the scripture. He has to explain it. We have to do the same thing, okay? So when we share the gospel, we need to understand that the gospel is biblical. Now, guys, that means something for you. I say this to you in love, all right? Christians, this is in love. But that means that if you don't know your Bible, you better get in it. Because if you don't know enough Bible to share Christ, then you don't know enough Bible. All right? That, that, that's just that's the, the basic bare bones truth I can tell you. You say, but I just became a Christian. Awesome. Start studying. Right. Start studying because it's there. The word of God is available to each of us. And and, and it's interesting that we know, you know, what happened on the last episode of Downton Abbey. And we we know who are our favorite team drafted in the NFL draft. But we're struggling to think about scriptures when we're talking to people. Right. Well, I I don't I don't know exactly the birth account. I'm not sure. I mean, there were some details. I'm a little fuzzy. You go, well, wait a second. Are you a Christ follower? Because you have a wealth of information about trivial pursuit. Like, I mean, you you whip everybody when the family gets together, right? I mean, I I know senseless amounts of sports trivia, friends. I mean, it's ridiculous. And yet I can find myself in a conversation struggling to pull up a scripture that should be so near and dear to my heart. And so the problem is I need more Bible and you need more Bible. The gospel is biblical. So we better get to it. Amen. Amen. Number three, the gospel is personal. <laughs> the gospel is personal. Hear me, the gospel is not just historical. It is that, right? As John said, Jesus really came and really lived and really died and really rose again. And they really saw him and heard him and really touched him. I love that. That's First John. That's good stuff. It, it was real. It was historical account. There's more proof about the resurrection of Christ than there is any uh, literature in all of antiquity. Any. Any. You say, well, well I, I believe that the Romans did this. And I believe, well, how do I believe this? Well, because there was one ancient document. Well, I, I could show you how many biblical accounts there are. I can, I can tell you how many biblical witnesses there were, the, the resurrection. We can walk through all, all the skeptics' arguments there. I'm telling you, there's more proof for the resurrection than probably any other historical event known to man. We, we can talk, it is historical, but it's not just historical. It's more than that, right? The gospel is not just theological either. It is that, right? I mean, the gospel definitely has to do with theology. It's about justification and forgiveness of sins and end times and, and all that, but it's so much more than that. It's personal. It's about, the gospel is about us having a personal relationship with God. That's the heart of the gospel, right? This is what Jesus says. And maybe you forgot this little prayer. He's praying for himself, John 17. And he says this little um, truth that is so huge to the heart of the gospel. This is what it says, John 17, 3. He says, now this is eternal life. This is. What's eternal life about? What's the gospel about? He's going to tell you, right? He says, this is eternal life. That they may know you. He's talking to God. He's praying to his father. He says, this is eternal life, that they will know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Guys, that's a, that's the heart of the gospel. Grace and forgiveness of sins and justification and sanctification and atonement, all that theology stuff, all those gifts are wonderful if and only if they bring us into a relationship with God. I, I, I need you to hear me clearly. Getting into heaven means nothing if God's not there. You you feel me? I I, I mean, being forgiven of your sins means nothing if you don't get God. The whole point of the gospel is that you'll know God. That it, it reestablishes a relationship with your creator, with your father, with the one who put a burning desire in your heart for him. God has set eternity in the hearts of men. And so the point of the gospel is that we get that, that we get God. And, and, and it's all about a relationship. And here's the problem, friends. If it's about a relationship, that means something, doesn't it? It means that it's not a one-time event as we have made it in the church today. Well, come on down, walk the aisle, accept the gospel. You're good. Well, it's, the gospel's not about when I die. I mean, it involves that. At some point, I get to go to heaven. But the gospel starts now when I receive Christ. It's about life, not just about death. The gospel is about life and death. And so what that means is if the gospel is about a personal relationship, it means that that I should be growing in that relationship continually, right? Men, tell me how this works for you. It doesn't work for me, but if if it works for you, you give me some pointers, right? So you, you find the woman of your dreams. She is, I mean, I know many of you, I'm looking around the room. I know you married up, right? I know it. Like I'm, I'm right there. I married up, you know. I mean, I, I, there was a whole another class of people. I had to like climb a ladder and sneak into that and be like, "Hey, you want to marry me?" And I, I was like wearing a disguise as this sweet, awesome, wonderful person. She said yes, and I'm like, "See, I'm really a, you know." Anyway, so you got the loser. I married up. All right. So, so, but imagine, imagine men that married up. How this works? So, you, so you get her to say I do. You put the ring on her finger. You, you stand before the the, the preacher. You have the wedding ceremonies. Uh, Do you, do you, I do, I do. And and then from that moment on, you stop learning about her. You stop listening to her. You don't want to know anything else about her. You've you've accomplished the purpose. How's that going to work out for you? How comfortable is your couch? Follow me? It's not going to work. It wouldn't work. It's ludicrous. Yet I would submit to you that the majority of Christians say, yes, Jesus, I do. And they walk away from that altar and they're done. Because they don't get the gospel is a personal relationship. Which involves constant growth. It involves constantly wanting to know more about this God that we now know. And I want to show you this. The greatest, the, some of the greatest men... Uh, of the faith, they had a burning desire to always know more about God. They were never content with their knowledge in God. And then Think about Moses. Now Moses, in all of the Old Testament, was there another guy that had a more intimate walk with Christ? You say, well, Abraham, yeah, that was pretty intimate. But I mean, Moses got to meet with God. Remember the whole tabernacle, the tent of meeting? And he would meet with God, and the cloud would descend, and the pillar cloud is there, and it was such a big event that all of Israel would come walking outside of their tents, and they would see the pillar cloud and they would know that God was meeting with Moses and they would this was like everybody. I mean, you can imagine just the mass uh, camp. Everybody walks out their tent and they fall on their knees and begin to worship God because of the tent of meeting and what's going on with Moses there. And, and you think, man, this guy had a relationship with God. And so I want to share with you Exodus 33. Moses is having a conversation with God and, and, and the people have upset God. And God's like, listen, you go. And Moses, says, we're not going without you. Because without you, we're ruined. We're not going without you. Please, please, please come with us. Okay? And so, so, so God hears this and says, And so the Lord says to Moses, I'll do the very thing that you've asked, because I'm pleased with you and I know you by name. Okay? So God is saying, Moses, I know you. You're my bud. We know each other. We have a relationship. But get this. Moses is not content with that. He's not content with just knowing God. And maybe you think this is rude of him. This isn't rude. This is this is a request. This is a heart cry. He, he says, okay, but God, now show me your glory. You need to insert like a, a pretty please there with sugar on top or something. I mean, he said, God... What I really want to know is, I want, I want to know you more. I, I, I don't want to just be your friend. I don't, you, I don't want you just to know my name, God. I want to see your power. I want to see your glory. I want to know the depths of your nature, God. I want you to move me so that I am changed forever. That's what I want from you, God. And so that's what happens. That's what he prays. And God hides him in the cleft of the rock and says, You can't look at my face, bro. You'll die. I'll let you I'll let you look at my backside as I pass by. I'll cover your face as I pass by and then I'll remove my hand and you'll be able to see a glimpse of my glory. You know, Paul had the same experience, if you will, with God. Paul had that same kind of experience. Remember, Paul is persecuting the church. He's on the road to Damascus to kill some more Christians. And Jesus shows up and blinds him and he has to be blinded before he can see. I think that's interesting. Interesting. And, and, and so he gets up and Jesus speaks to him. And we know that Paul got the gospel. Like Jesus like, like literally spoke the gospel unto him and, and saved him. We know that because when you read Galatians, he says, The gospel I came and shared with you, I didn't learn from church. He so said, The gospel I shared with you, I didn't get that gospel from Peter or from James or from Andrew. I didn't get that gospel from men. That's what Jesus told me. Jesus, saved me. Jesus, the risen Lord, interfered with me. I was going to kill you guys. He interfered with me and he shared the gospel. And that's the message I shared with you. He said, it's not man-made. This is the gospels from God is what, what Paul's saying. So, so so Paul's walking down that road now. Now I want you to hear his heart cry. So so Paul knew God. Paul knew Christ. He knew him, but I want you to hear what he says in Philippians 3, 10, 11. He says He says, no, no, no. I want to know you. He says, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection. Uh, 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 the, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings and becoming like him in his death. And so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. And what is Paul saying? Paul saying, listen, Jesus, I want more of you. I'm not okay with just having a knowledge of you. I want to know the depths of, of how you felt. I want to know how difficult it was for you to stand there and take it from me. I want to know what a dirty sinner I am and how gracious you are. I want to know the depths of your unfathomable love for me. I want to know what it took as you'd and, and you prayed in the garden, and your, 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 your circulatory system began to shut down, and you started sweating drops of blood. I want to know what it was like, you who are eternal and co equal with God, who were there forever. I want to know what it was like when you cried from the cross for the very first time in all of existence, My Father, why have you forsaken me? I want to know the depths of you, Jesus, because then I'll be changed forever. You see, that's the gospel. The gospel isn't something you can just say amen and get up and go eat from. The gospel changes you forever because it enters you into a personal relationship with a God that has pursued you since the beginning of a time. A God that you have uh, betrayed, risen up against, become an enemy of. And this God provides a way. For all that to be made right in himself. It's personal. It should never stop growing. Some of you here today, this morning, you hear that and you go, that's so different from what I heard in church. I thought the gospel stopped at the altar. I thought the gospel was done at the altar and then one day I'd be in heaven and I was done. No, friend. Just like that relationship with your spouse doesn't stop at the altar. It's meant to continue daily. And our desire should be to know every ounce of God that we can handle. God, show me your glory. So what do you do when you start to grasp the depths of, of the true gospel? What do you do when you maybe you've been raised in church and you've heard forever, come and get saved and it's done? Like, how, how do you... You follow me? Anybody else struggle? How do I process that? How, how, how do I process that? Because that's pretty stinking big. I don't have a simple answer, but I made a magical one, two, three formula. I'm just joking. There's no magic here. Here's the first thing I would do if I were you or me. I think you've got to believe in this gospel, in this gospel, this gospel. Remember, there's been a lot of bad ones. There's been a lot of false gospels that talked about what you had to do. They were outside end gospels about your activity and your actions and what you did. And this gospel is completely different from that. There are a lot of gospels that ended at the altar. And they were just about, they were really gospels of death. I mean, it was life after death, but it was still a gospel of death, right? It just involved when you died. And yet you read the gospel and you go, wait a second. God's got a plan for me now. God's got a purpose for me now. God's got power for me now. Oh, buddy, it's about to get good. You've got to believe that. You've got to believe that. Number two, you've got to receive this Jesus and become a part of his kingdom Ah, and his reign. Uh, and, and, and here's the deal. I, I wish I could give you, again, I, I could probably pull up LifeWay's website. I'm picking on them a little bit because we're Baptists and we can. Uh, but I'm sure they've got like a little booklet or a little pamphlet or something that costs $200. That, um, You know, it's leather bound or something. You know, because that's what we do with the Word of God now. Is we, we charge as much as possible, humanly possible, because, you know, we've got a profit on it. Uh, anyway, that's a whole other soapbox. Um, we're paying for the study notes. Uh Okay. How, how how do we receive this? Again, um, we have systemized this, and 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 well, A, B, C. If you do A, B, and C, and you pray this little prayer, and then we'll baptize you, and blah, blah blah blah. The problem is the the Bible doesn't really give us a really good system for receiving this kingdom. It doesn't. You know, it says it says believe it, and 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 then literally confess it, like cry out that Jesus is Lord. And you say, well, what does that look like? I, I'm going to tell you. Here's here's my my belief. Okay, and and maybe maybe I'm totally. Totally wrong here. But I, I think the Jesus is Lord thing probably shouldn't be a little prayer that we do also quietly. Jesus is Lord. Because I think if we pray it that way, then we don't understand the depth of the gospel that says that we're an enemy of God. And, and that we're dead in our sins. And, and like that Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, it's going to be awesome, right? But not for everybody. Because when Jesus comes back, His grace is removed. And at that point, it's judgment. And you on the left, and you on the right, and we're gonna go home. And you guys are coming with me, and you folks, I'm sorry you had every opportunity. And you see, if, if we, if we understand the depth knowledge of that, if we understand the the, the the deep truth in that, then we're not going to cry out to Jesus to receive Him like, oh, save me. We're going to cry out, God, save me! I'm a sinner! I'm stuck in my sin! I am your enemy! And I need you! I need you to transform me because my heart is wrong! Because in the depths of who I am, I've tried to be a good person and I stink at it! Save me! It's personal! It should hurt! The gospel should hurt you. It should cut you deep. It should cause you to cry out with all that you are. Finally. When you receive it, here's the challenge. And the cool part, too, is you get to go live it. Like right here, right now, today. 2 Corinthians 15 rocks my world on a regular basis because God tells me that he has made me new in Christ. And as he made me new in Christ, as he reconciled me to himself through Christ, he then gave me a ministry of, of that very same thing, reconciliation. So that through me, through this broken, messed up, idiot, right here, me, that through me, God will use a message... To boast about Jesus so that when he is lifted up, all men will be drawn to himself. And that through me, others might be reconciled to God through Christ. Through me, I get a ministry. I get to play a part in the kingdom of God, friends. And you say, I didn't think I had a role to play in the church. I didn't think I thought that was only for pastors or for deacons or... Every person in Christ has an extremely important role to play. That's the gospel. So the questions to us then is this. Is that the kind of gospel that we're living out? Are we living like we believe that God cares about now? Or are we just living like he just cares about later? And if we are just living like he cares about later, are we even living that way? Like we're trying to, you know, hey, eternal stuff's happening. You know, I don't even think we live that way, friend. If we're not even living that way, we've got a long way to go to live this way. God loves you and has a plan for you, and he wants to use you right here and right now. Be a part of his kingdom. Receive this gospel. Cry out to Jesus. Cry out to Jesus. Would you guys pray with me?